Yeah, welcome Northview. It's so good to have all of you here today. Northview's one church in 12 different locations. Could we just give a great big shout out at all of our campuses? Let's give a big shout out to our Benford campus. Yeah. Woo. You guys rock. We're so proud of what God is doing through you down there. And we just ask, uh, pray that you continue to do all that you're doing to reach the community there. If you're our guest here today, again, we are one church in 12 different locations, and if you don't have a church home, we would be honored to have you come and be a part of all that God is doing here. I wanted to tell you about this Thursday night at 6.30 at the Palladium here in Carmel, we're inviting everyone that's ready to make your two-year commitment to our first initiative to be there. This initiative, guys, without question, I think you know this, this is true. This is the biggest step of faith we have ever taken as a church. It will shape who we are and all that we accomplish for the next five years. And so if you're ready to make your commitment, I hope that you'll make plans to be here this Thursday night. All of our campuses are coming together. Now, obviously, we're a church of about 12,000 people, and the Palladium hand, can handle 1,500 people, so obviously everybody can't fit in there. But there's going to be, uh, um, we're going to be celebrating, there's going to be testimonies, there's going to be worship and refreshments, and uh, then we're going to turn in commitment cards and declare God to be first in our life as we move forward in these next two years. Now, the event is free, but you do need tickets. So if you're interested in coming, just go online to northviewchurch.us slash tickets, and you can get your tickets there. Again, if you're ready, some of you say, I don't think I'm quite ready. I'm still praying about it. No worries at all. But if you feel like you're ready and you want to be a part of that event, it's going to be, a, it's going to be an exciting event. I'm excited for this moment in the history of our church. And I believe one day we'll look back and say, you know, I was there at the Palladium in 2022 and I watched what God did. And so uh, if you can be there, that would be great. Well, let me jump into this. Father, I just thank you and I praise you for your faithfulness. You are an amazing God. I just thank you, Lord. Um, that for all that you're doing in all of our campuses and the way that you're blessing our church. And I just pray that you would continue to do so. I'm thankful, God, for um, the fact that there is power in prayer and that we can, we can come before your throne and bring our uh, needs and our petitions and we can bring them into your presence and know that you're already gone before us. As we prayed last week, we just continue to pray for Ukraine and pray, dear God, that you would just step into that situation, God. Just pray, dear God, that you would protect the people that are in harm's way there, Father, and that you would, God, bring an end to this conflict. Thank, thank you, God, for all that you're doing at Northview Church, and thank you, God, for all you're doing in churches all throughout central Indiana. I just want to pray specifically today for Traders Point Christian Church. What an amazing congregation. I'm thankful for their pastor, Aaron Brockett, and his friendship, and pray, dear God, that we could continue to link arms together to make a difference throughout central Indiana. Thanks, God, as we get into this um, teaching tonight, as we get into your word tonight, I pray that you would open up our eyes and ears to see and hear all that you want to do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, I'm sure you've heard it said before that the best defense is a strong offense. The idea, of course, is that if you're experiencing an attack from the enemy, sometimes the best way to defend yourself is to go on the offensive. In other words, instead of running away from your enemy, you run towards them. And in a way, I think that's what Paul is trying to get across to these new believers, these new Christians, in chapter two of the book of Colossians. If you've not been here, we're in a series called First, and we're looking at the book of Colossians. As a Christ follower, we're always open. I, you know this is true. If, if you don't know this is true, you haven't been a believer for very long. But as a Christ follower, we're all always open to an attack of the enemy. Jesus said it in John 10, 10. He tried to warn us when he said the thief, which he's talking about Satan or the devil, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. He said that, Jesus said that's what he's about. You may say, well, you know, I'm nobody. I'm, not, I'm insignificant. I'm not important. It doesn't matter. Satan is out to destroy you. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I've come that they might have life and have it to the full. That attack could be anything from untrue accusations to false expectations to any kind of temptation. It could be any kind of a lie. Guys, sometimes the best defense 
or the best way to defend ourselves against the lies of the enemy is to go on the offensive, to be bold and to engage in the fight against those, all those people and all those things and circumstances and situations that try to threaten us. To demonstrate your faith by running towards the enemy instead of running away. I couldn't help thinking this afternoon about when I was a kid, uh, they taught us in school that the buffalo, and I'm sure you've been taught this as well, that that a buffalo, when a storm is coming, instead of the buffalo trying to get away from the storm, that a buffalo will stop and put his head down and go into the storm. Because sometimes it's quicker to just take it on the offense and get through the other side. And I thought, you know what, sometimes the storms of life are the attacks of the enemy that come our way. The scripture, the scripture reassures us that nothing can stop the church of Jesus Christ. That's a bold statement, but Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 16. He said, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Listen, all the demons in hell cannot stop the church when the church is moving forward in bold faith. But here in Colossae, listen, here in Colossae, Paul knows these young Christians are being led astray by a whole lot of false teaching that was going on during the day, which is why he decides that he's gonna write this letter that we call Colossians. They're being tempted to put their trust or their hope in things. So he's urging them to refocus their faith, to refocus their attention on Jesus. And the majority of the passage that we're gonna look at today is devoted to reminding these young believers who they are in Christ and what Christ has accomplished on their behalf. And to understand that Christ is preeminent or first in their life. You know, I I, I said oftentimes we wanna say, well, you know what, Jesus is important to me. It's not about him being important to you. Well, he's a priority in my life. Is he the priority in your life? I said it to you a couple weeks ago, Jesus doesn't do second very well because in fact he is preeminent. He doesn't do second very well because in fact he's first. Paul wants them to understand who they are in Christ so they will be bold and put their trust in God. To fight the lies of the enemy with the truth of God's word. Friends, nothing has changed. We also need to be bold in our faith and we need to go on the offensive against the lies of the enemy. And just like the enemy was out to steal, kill, and destroy those early Christians in Colossae, he's out to steal, kill, and destroy these Christians here at Northview. The devil is a liar and he will, listen, he will tempt you to live for yourself and your own selfish gratifications or your own selfish desires instead of declaring Christ first in your life. So if you have not been here, we are in week three of a five-week study on the book of Colossians. Again, if you've not not been here, I would encourage you to go back and go online and listen to those first two messages, especially week one. Because if you don't hear week one, it's hard to understand what the book of Colossians is really all about. So I would encourage you to do that. It's so important, the book of Colossians is so important to our two-year generosity initiative called FIRST, before all things. And here's what I want you to know about this initiative. It's first and foremost about discipleship. Now some say, oh, I don't know that I believe that. I think first and foremost it's about raising money. It's absolutely not. I was just, I just got back, I was at a, a, a group of pastors out in Vegas. That was an odd place to meet, wasn't it? Uh, we were out in Vegas, there was about 100 pastors, and I was on a panel, there were four of us that were on a panel that were being interviewed, and one of the topics on that panel was a generosity initiative and what it was about. And at one point I just said to him, I said, guys, let me just tell you something. If your church is struggling spiritually and you don't feel like you're seeing spiritual growth, then I would encourage you to do a generosity initiative. If you don't feel like your church has been growing in their faith or moving forward spiritually, I would encourage you to do a generosity initiative. And I know that sounds counterintuitive and I know that sounds uh, 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 completely different than what we would expect. The reality is that when we focus, that's what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33, seek ye first the kingdom of God and everything else will be taken care of. That's what we're trying to teach in a generosity initiative, is about putting Christ 
first. It's all about growing in our faith. It's all about growing in our walk with Christ as it relates to generosity. You see, I think it's important to understand, listen, I think it's important to understand that our discipleship or spiritual growth comes before mission advancement. Mission advancement is important. We have a role to play as a church, a responsibility to reach those that are far from Christ. But our discipleship or spiritual growth comes even before that, which is why we have two goals for our first initiative. The primary goal, you've heard me say this over and over again, the primary goal is 100% engagement. We want to engage 100% of the people that call Northview Church their home. We want to engage them to grow in our generosity or to always declare, listen, to always declare Christ first and to always give him our very best, especially when it comes to our generosity, which of course goes beyond giving our first check or our first auto draft. So as we've been talking about the first two weeks, it's not about first in, it's not about first in order, it's about first in priority. It's the idea of making Jesus Christ preeminent in everything that we do. The kind of generosity the scripture talks about is intended, listen, this is a big deal. The kind of generosity that the scripture talks about was intended to be a transformational act. In other words, it's meant to be something that changes our heart and it changes our attitude. Guys, I want you to, to hear the story of someone in our church that had that type of experience. Watch your screen. I come from a family who attended church because it was expected, not necessarily because it was something that everybody wanted to do. Tithing or giving or generosity, never a discussion, never even something that we brought up. I grew up in a family that, quite honestly, we didn't go to church. Once we became husband and wife and uh, um, and we started our family. And then uh, when your daughter comes home, and says, I think I'd like to start going to church. And Elise turned to me and says, well, what are we gonna do? And I said, we're gonna go to church. We're gonna get started. And we've never looked back. When Steve and I first met, got married and started going to church, there was no question that we were gonna follow what God's lead was, and that is to tithe. It was hard at first. But then as our faith continued to grow and get stronger and stronger, it got real easy. Even with hospitalizations and job loss and job change and moving, God has always provided. All of our family watched us for a couple of years because <laughs> we started changing. We never wavered. We always were focused on the Lord. And after about two years of that, it was, we don't know what you found, but we want to get that joy that we see in your face. Interesting to have our daughter be the one who led us back to church the first time and then we were able to help my parents. We found Northview. We were moving back from the west and <laughs> uh, we just happened to stumble into someone uh, at the airport who was coming back home and just happened to have a little tag on his backpack that said, I love my church. And my wife, who never met a stranger, in, in line at Starbucks, tapped him on the shoulder and said, why do you love your church? And uh, it was Mark Kroll, and uh, next, the rest is history. We we came back and attended that weekend, and we've never stopped attending. The Uncharted campaign was new to us because we'd never been in a church who utilized something like that. We came about halfway in, we committed. We love missions. I love life groups. Those are the things that always excite me. It was about kingdom building, helping build disciples, helping people find the Lord. Just as we, our lives were changed, we want others to find out. It seems trite to say we've been blessed to be a blessing, but when you recognize that really, that he has so blessed us and that for us not to, to share that, is so selfish. People think that if you're gonna give and you're truly gonna give generously, that it's going to take away from what you have and all it does is multiply what you have. I think those who haven't really jumped in, we know what that looks like for folks who have got a long, a long life who haven't jumped in. I think they're going to be surprised at how faithful God is for them. Mm -hmm. This is not about you making this huge leap all it is is you being obedient 
And, and once you become obedient in one area of your life, it becomes so much easier to be obedient in another area of your life. Whether it's uh, tithing, whether it's generosity, whether it's volunteering, whether it's missions, whether, uh, you know, he's just, we turn to him first. You know, it's more than just first fruits, it's turning to him first. When you finally make the decision to follow and to be obedient, God does amazing things. You know, throughout the years, I, I read a lot, and one of the types of books I read a lot of is leadership books, and I'll tell you there is a common thread through all the leadership books you'll read is we're reading them because we want to learn how to be a, a successful leader. And one of the th common threads that all of them talk about is that if you want to be a successful leader, you have to establish your priorities. You have to establish your priorities. And God, I, and guys, I would just tell you that that's certainly true in our spiritual life. As believers, we need to take responsibility for what God wants to do in and through our life. Again, it's the mindset that says, I'll give God my first and I'll give him my best. God needs to be given that place of preeminence because he is in fact preeminent. Well, Steve, Again, God's important to me, that's great, I'm glad he's important to you, but the question every one of us in this room has got to answer, is he preeminent in your life? I'm really not concerned if he's important, I'm concerned if you've put him in his rightful place. Then our secondary goal is mission advancement. We seek to advance God's mission through Northview by declaring Jesus before all things in our church, declaring him before all things in our communities, and declaring him before all things in our world. So as I've said to you over and over and over again, God wants us to be bold in our faith. And yet there are times we try and justify our lack of commitment. You know, Steve, I really don't have all that much to give. So what difference is it gonna make? What difference is gonna make if I give? What's my small amount? How's it gonna change anything anyway? Friends, please, just look up here for just a second. It's never been about how much we give. It's never been about how much we give. It's always been about putting God first in our heart. Until once you get a hold of that, it will be one of those spiritual aha moments. But until you do, you'll allow the enemy to lie to you and to deceive you and to tell you, well, the church, it's all about money. It's absolutely not. It's not about money. It's never been about how much we give. It's always about putting God first in our heart. In fact, did you know, this, this is gonna surprise some of you. Some of you are gonna say, oh man, I needed to hear that. Did you know that Jesus never asked us to give? Now some of you are already nudging your husband or your wife. Jesus never asked us to give, it's true. And yet over two thirds of the parables that Jesus talks about have to do with our financial resources. Over 2,000 scripture passages in the New Testament talk about our financial resources. He never asks us to give, but he does ask us to seek him first. And that's why I'm saying it will be a spiritual aha moment. It'll be one of those moments when you understand that what Jesus is saying to us is seek first his kingdom and everything else will be taken care of. And we know that it was important to him, even though he doesn't ask us to give, he just keeps pointing back to put me first, put me first, put me first in every aspect of your life. I love the story in Mark chapter 12 when Jesus commends the widow for putting two small coins into the offering. Let's look at it. In, in Mark chapter 12, it says, Jesus sat down, look at this. Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and he watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more. This poor widow has given more than all the others who were making contributions. For she gave a tiny part of their surplus, for they, for they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. Listen to me, friends. Spiritual growth comes when we learn to put Christ first in our resources. I know that some people, maybe some of you are skeptical that giving has anything to do with spiritual growth, but I will promise you it absolutely does. 
Our generosity is an outward demonstration of our love for God. It's an outward demonstration of God's preeminence in our life. It's an outward demonstration that we trust God in our life. God is not interested in us learning to, listen, God is not interested in us learning to keep a bunch of rules and regulations or do's and don'ts. What God is always most interested in is the condition of our heart. It always comes back to that. It always, it's not like, well, you know, I, I, I never did this, Pastor. I, I didn't smoke, I didn't drink, you know, I didn't chew, didn't go with girls to do. You know, we have all these rules that we come up with. It's not about rules. It's about the condition of our heart. So again, I ask you, is he preeminent in your life? Is he the most important thing in your life? Is he your priority? Because if he is, everything else will fall in place. In Matthew chapter six, Jesus said, for where your treasure is, again, it comes back to what we're talking about. Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, God's not only concerned with how much we give to him, he's more concerned with how we handle the resources that we keep. Did you notice it says, did you notice earlier in that other passage, it said Jesus was sitting near the collection box watching the people give. Jesus was sitting near the collection box watching the people give. But why? Because you can tell a whole lot about where a person's heart is, you can tell a whole lot about where we are spiritually by how we handle the resources that God has trusted us with. This widow, this widow only gave a couple pennies. It would not, guys, it would not have made a significant difference to the synagogue whether she did or didn't give that money. And yet Jesus tells the disciples, this widow, her gift mattered more than all the other large gifts that have been given this day. Now some of you say, well, that doesn't even make sense, but it does. Because Jesus wanted them to understand that her heart was right. That God was preeminent in her life. Well, how could he tell that? You could tell because she gave her first and her best. We also know that she gave sacrificially because it says she gave everything she had to live on. Guys, God didn't need her money. God did not need her money. It all belongs to him anyway. What mattered is what her gift represented. It was, again, an outward demonstration of her love for God. It was clear. It was absolutely clear that God was preeminent in her life. Okay, so let's, let's go back to the book of Colossians. I want you to see how Paul instructs these believers at Colossae on how important it was for them to put Christ first in their life. And as I said in week one, Colossae was filled with shrines and temples to all kinds of gods. And the attitude was it doesn't matter which god you worship, just find a god that works out for you. Kind of a, a lot like our world today. Everybody has their own unique worldview. Kind of a build-a-bear type theology. Just whatever feels good, whatever feels right for you, just, just worship that. It, it's not that, we're, that these new believers were discarding Jesus. In fact, Paul tells us in, in chapter two, verse five, he says, though I am absent from you in my body, my heart is with you, and I am happy to see your good lives and your strong faith in Christ. I'm happy to see your strong faith in Christ. Their faith in Christ was strong. They're new believers, but their faith in Christ was strong. They just felt like they needed other things to be happy. Guys, if this doesn't sound like the world we live in today, you're just not aware. Because that's what's happening in America today. You've got Christians that say, oh, I love God with all of my heart, but they have to have all of these other things before they feel happy. Yes, these new Christians understood they needed Jesus, but they thought there were other things they needed as well. Kind of, a, kind of a Jesus plus mindset. Jesus plus observance of the law. Or Jesus plus mystical rituals. Much like we live in today. We understand we need Jesus for salvation. If I, I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hands, but if I were to ask everybody, how many of you believe that, that we need Jesus for salvation? I'm sure almost every hand would go up. But if we were being completely honest, many of us think we also need good works. Because what do we do when somebody says, well, do you think he went to heaven? Well, no, he, he wasn't a good person, so he didn't go to heaven. Well, he may not have been a good person, but had he invited Christ into his life? 
You see, we always want to add to it. We always think it's Jesus plus something. I, I mean, even church. Well, I don't, think he went to, I don't think he went to heaven because he never went to church. So, so what you're saying is that it's Jesus plus church attendance. Well, guys, we can't add anything to salvation. Jesus is all we need for salvation. You, you get the idea. Paul, Paul's response is a resounding no. Christ is all you need, and that is enough. Once you have Jesus in your life, you have it all. Guys, listen to this formula because it holds true every time. Jesus plus nothing is everything. Jesus plus nothing is everything. Let's jump down to verse eight, and he says, see to it that there is no one who takes you captive. How? Through philosophy and empty deception in accordance with human tradition. Does that not sound like today's world, today's culture? In accordance with the elementary principles of the world, rather than accordance with Christ. Now this is where Paul tries to teach them the importance of Christ being central to all doctrine. Paul warns them not to be taken captive by a philosophy that tries to convince you that there are human ways to obtain salvation. He tells them not to have anything to do, listen, not to have anything to do with teaching that does not encourage Christ's preeminence. Guys, that's exactly what I'm trying to get across in this series. That's exactly if, that if you don't understand anything else through, through this series that in five weeks when you walk away from this series, you're gonna say, but what I did get a hold of is that Christ needs to be preeminent in our life. What I did get a hold of is that he needs to be the priority of my life. It really is that simple. Jump down to verse nine. He says, for in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete. And he is the head over every ruler and authority. So once you have the fullness of God in Christ, what else could you lack? What other spiritual blessing would you even need? Jump down to verse 16. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food and drink. Uh, again, we come up with all these man-made rules and regulations. No one is to act as your judge in regard to food and drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are only a shadow of what is to come. But the substance, the substance belongs to Christ. Take care that no one keeps defrauding you of your prize, salvation, by delighting in humility and the worship of the angels, taking his stand on visions that he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. Then Paul summarizes what his point is. We jump down to verse 20, and it says, if you have died with Christ, listen, if you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? Guys, there are two kingdoms. We've talked about this before as well. There are two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. Those are your only two choices. It's not like it's multiple choice. Those are your only two choices. And if you've invited Jesus Christ into your life, then you have already made a determination that you want to focus on the things of God. You, you invited Christ in, so you were saying, I surrender all. I surrender all. You've, you've made a determination that you want to focus on the things of God and you want your life to reflect the kingdom of God. And then Paul says, if that's true, then why do you live this is so strong. Paul says, if that's true, then why do you live as if you still are serving the kingdom of this world? I think Paul would ask many of us the same question today. If you've really made Christ your Savior and Lord, why do you still live as if you're serving the kingdom of this world? He then tells them in chapter three, they need to live on the offensive, let's jump over. Chapter three, verse one, he says, since you were raised from the dead with Christ, aim at what is in heaven where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Think only about the things in heaven, not the things on earth. In other words, 
You need to focus on the upper story. I haven't talked about the upper story and the lower story for a long time. The upper story, for those of you that are, are guests or new, the upper story is in the invisible realm. It's what's going on in the spirit realm. It's, it's what's, what's going on in the heavenlies. We can't see it, but it's not limited by time and space. The lower story is what we see right here. It's like the lower story is what I visibly can see. I, I can see you here, but it's limited by time and space. I can't see what's going on on the other side of the door. I can't see what's gonna happen tomorrow. It's limited. But in the spirit realm, in the upper story, it's not limited by time or space. So we need, as Christians, we need to focus on what's going on in the upper story. You need to be intentional with the direction of your life and set your mind on the things of God. Guys, we decide what we think on. And if you don't like where your mind's going, then you need to establish a new thought life. You need to start thinking on other things. Paul talks about that in Philippians chapter four. He said, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing, fix your thoughts. So th this is intentionality. This is something you've gotta do. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things, again, intentionality. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Did you notice it says where Christ is seated at the right hand of God? Guys, the right hand of God is considered what? The right hand of God is considered the ultimate place of authority and power. So he's telling us that Jesus is sitting at the ultimate place of power. So then, what other, what other help could we even need? Which is the point I was trying to make earlier. We often, think, we often think the road to happiness or the road to our security is found in what? We think it's found in Jesus plus. We think it's found in Jesus plus something else. We're, we're constantly trying to, when we talk about the joy of the Lord, the scripture talks about a joy unspeakable that's full of glory and a peace that passeth all human understanding. And we think, how do I get there? We think it's Jesus plus. It's Jesus plus something else. It's a Jesus plus mentality. We'll be happy, listen, we'll be happy and secure if we have Jesus and money. If we have Jesus uh, 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 and material things. If we have Jesus and notoriety. Well, Jesus then addresses, he knew this would be a problem for us, and so he addresses this in Matthew 6, 24. It says, no one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. You cannot have two different things that are gonna bring you happiness. Friends, all you need I know all you need is to look to Jesus. We now follow, listen to me, we now follow the one who is himself the fullness of God. He showed the ultimate love, he conquered the ultimate enemy, and he now sits at the ultimate place of power. So again, we need as believers, as Christians, to be reminded it's Jesus plus nothing is everything. Jesus plus nothing is everything. Once you have a relationship with him, I'm just telling you, you have it all. Don't, don't keep looking over your shoulder, don't keep trying to look in other places thinking that somehow uh, FOMO, that somehow you're missing out, that there's gotta be more that you don't see. It's Jesus plus nothing is everything. And just as we don't need to have multiple gods in our life, we don't need multiple priorities either. If we're gonna follow Jesus Christ, then he should be our priority. And once we declare him first, everything else will fall in place. That, my friends, is the message of the letter to the church in Colossae, the book of Colossians. There's a book out <clears throat> I recently read. I haven't finished it yet, but I'm about three-fourths of the way through it. There's a book I read called God and Money, and it was actually written by two Harvard Business School graduates, and I thought it was interesting what got my attention. One of them is by a, a, a guy by the name of Gregory Balmer, Baumer, Baumer or Balmer, I'm not sure, but he's from Indianapolis. And these two guys became believers, they became Christians, and it made them rethink everything that they'd thought about money before. They said when it comes to money, in the book it said when it comes to money, people tend to have one of three different relationships. 
If one of these describes, now, now guys, listen to me, please. If one of these describes a, a person sitting next to you, just, just uh, point it out. Just, just make sure all of us know or, or, or jab them in the ribs. It's always helpful when we do that kind of stuff. So first of all, he talks about there's the spender. Then he talks about, secondly, they talk about the saver. And then finally, they talk about the steward. Now, they say the spender believes the greatest value of our money is to bring us fun and enjoyment. So for the spender, money is primarily about adding pleasure to our life today. The saver is the person who thinks money is all about providing security for tomorrow. So they limit their consumption of purchases today so that they can save money for the future. Then you have the steward. These folks see money as a temporary gift from God to be used for the purpose of honoring God at all times. Now, of course, they do save some money for their future, and they also spend some of their money for enjoyment, but they intentionally limit both so that they can be generous with other people, as well as obedient to whatever it is that God might ask of them to do. I think, guys, that it's important to see that as Christians, the Scripture encourages us to do what? The Scripture encourages us to be good stewards, that everything we have belongs to God that we in fact are simply managers or stewards of his stuff, and yet we often think as long as I give my tithe, you know what, Steve, as long, I'm a tither, get off my back, I give to God. We have this idea that as long as I give my tithe, then God will leave me alone, and God will be pleased with me, and I can spend the other 90% however I want to spend it. Guys, I don't want to blow anybody, burst anybody's bubble, but that's just not true. What the scripture teaches, if you read the scripture, you'll find out what, it, what the scripture wants us to understand is that 100% of everything we have belongs to God. Not just of our financial resources, but of everything we have, every gift we have, every talent we have, our time, everything we have, according to scripture, belongs to God. So a good steward is generous and faithful to God with all of their gifts and talents and time. A good steward is generous and faithful to God with all the financial resources that God has trusted them with. Je Jesus illustrates this point in the parable he tells in Luke chapter 12. It says, then Jesus said to them, be careful and guard against all kinds of greed. Uh, so again, I, I told you, Jesus has never asked us to give, but he talks about the struggles with finances all throughout the Gospels. Jesus said to them, be careful and guard against all kinds of greed. Life is not measured by how much one owns. Then Jesus told this story. There was a rich man who had some land which grew a good crop. He thought to himself, what will I do? I have no place to keep all my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and other goods. Then I can say to myself, I have enough good things stored to last for many years. Rest, eat, drink, and enjoy life. But God said to him, foolish man, tonight your life will be taken from you. So who will get those things that you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be for those who store up things for themselves and are not rich towards God. Church, listen to me. There's absolutely nothing wrong with having money. Money is not, money is not uh, moral or immoral. Money is amoral. It, it has no intrinsic value in itself, in itself. And yet at the same time, it's actually an incredibly powerful tool for the kingdom of God. But the problem is, when money becomes your God, or your idol, or your addiction, when it becomes a means to an end other than Jesus, what good is it to accumulate a lot of money and then use it all for your own selfish wants and desires? So Jesus starts out by warning us to be on guard against all greed. I pointed that out. He warns us to be on guard against all greed because guys, listen to me, your happiness is not found in the abundance of possessions. Just, just ask a wealthy person that's accumulated a lot of possessions. Your happiness is not found in the abundance of possessions. So if you do recognize a habit of greed in your life, then just know the way to break that habit is through generosity. You see, I'm also trying to get you to understand that if you want the heart of God, you must learn to be generous. 
For God so loved the world, he gave. The heart of God is one of generosity. One of the best ways, listen, one of the best ways to combat money's seductive lure in your life is to simply give it away. Listen, when we loosen our grip, when we loosen our grip on money, money is less able to have a grip on us. Now back to the third chapter of Colossians. He says, set your minds on the things above. Again, do you see the intentionality? Do you see this isn't just something that because you're a Christian it's gonna happen? You've gotta be intentional about it. You've gotta make a determination. This is what I'm gonna do. Set your minds on the things above. You, you need to be intentional. So what does it mean to set your mind on the things above? It means to live, it means to live as if Jesus rules and eternity is real. It means to live your life as if Jesus rules and eternity is real. Listen, guys, long before psychologists talked about the dangers of addiction, Jesus talked about how, how the heart was inevitably attached to whatever it loves, which is why it's so important to set your mind on the upper story, the invisible realm, where God is at work, instead of on the lower story, the things going on in the invisible realm all around us. Focus your thoughts on the things that truly matter. Guys, please get a hold of this. There's only two things in this world that we're living today, there's only two things in life that are eternal. You know, there, you, one of the things that I've never seen, maybe you have, I've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. I've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul because there's only two things in life that are eternal, the kingdom of God and the souls of men and women. And so that's where you and I need to invest our lives. Some of you struggle spiritually because you haven't set your mind on the upper story. Oh, maybe you do for a while and then you kind of drift back to the things of this world. Again, I've, I've referred to it a couple times already, but Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, seek first, there it is, seek first God's kingdom and what God wants. Seek first God's kingdom and what God wants. It's all about obedience. Then all your other needs will be met as well. Once we do that, once we put him first and preeminent in our life, he's saying, I'll take care of everything else. How can you seek after something? Guys, here's the question. How can you seek after something you're not even thinking about? If you're always thinking about material possessions or wealth, well, that's what you're gonna seek after. If you're always thinking about pornography, well, that's what you're gonna seek after. So when you start your day, that's why I've encouraged you so many times before, when you start your day, be intentional about it. You need to make a conscious decision to think on the things of God. Yeah, I told you, I've told you this so many times, but every morning of my life I have for 40 years, I put my feet on the ground and get, say, God, this is the day you have made. I will rejoice and be glad at it. And I'm, I, I want to serve you today. Why? You say, well, that's just a, you, you don't even think about it anymore. I, I don't. But, it, but it's intentionality. It, it's, it's a making a determination that I want those to be my first thought of the day. I, I've heard it said before that it's easier for God to get us to heaven than for God to get heaven in us. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of believers on their way to heaven, but they're just not living this spirit-filled life because their minds are still set on the things of this world. Guys, the more you focus on Jesus and the things of God, the more you're gonna fall in love with him. You ever, uh, you ever played Monopoly? Silly question, I'm sure all of us have played it at least once in our life. Some of you love it, some of you detest it. Maybe you're what you love it because you're one of those people that play it like you're some real estate tycoon. You know, you're buying all kinds of property and taking everybody's money and you always seem to come out on top and, and you're just kind of like throwing money around in your face, I mean, this type of thing. Talking smack while you play Monopoly. <laughs> Guys, just remember this. When you finish the game, it all goes back in the box. When you finish the game, it all goes back in the box. And it's the same way, listen to me please, in the same way some of you are accumulating all kinds of wealth and property, and your bank account, it is flush. And that's good, that's fine. 
I'm just trying to get you to see that when you take your last breath and every single one of us in this room will one day take our last breath, when you take your last breath, everything that you've accumulated, it all goes back in the box. You're not taking any of it with you. Look at verse three. He says, your old sinful self has died and your new life is kept with Christ and God. Christ is your life. And when he comes again, I love this and I'd love to talk even longer about this, but when he comes again, you will share in his glory. Guys, it's another reason for the Christian to be all in because Christ is coming back for his church. I bet my life on it. Because I believe the word of God is true and God promised, Jesus promised us that he was coming back for us. And I believe it'll be soon. That's my own convictions. But I believe we're in the last of the last days. I'd love to talk more about that right now. But I, knew, I believe we need to be all in because of that. He's coming back for his followers. And when that happens, you will see for yourself that Jesus really is. You'll see for yourself that Jesus really is all you need. So Paul tells these believers, you can live as if Jesus rules and eternity is real, or you can live as if you're sufficient to save yourselves and live forever. And Paul is saying, basically, well, with what we just read, Paul is telling these new believers, my money's on Jesus. But what about you, friends? Are you living your life as if Jesus rules and eternity is real? Are you bold in your faith and generous with all that he's trusted you with? Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter nine, he says you will be enriched in every way. Why? So, important two letter word, you will be enriched, talking to believers, Christians, you and me, in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. God expects us to be generous with all that he has trusted us with. Listen, guys, some of you have been given the gift of affluence. Hear me. The more God has blessed us with, I believe the more responsibility comes with that affluence. And God doesn't always bless us to increase our standard of living. I think he enriches us to increase our standard of giving. I want to show you another promise in Scripture in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth. You know, we talk about it's important that we honor God with our life. Well, how do you do that? Well, he tells us. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. In other words, give God your best. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. Does that make sense? C.S. Lewis he, used a, he said a similar thing, and he described it this way. He said, when we put first things first, God multiplies second things. Kind of the seek ye first the kingdom of God, and he'll take care of everything else. When we put first things first, God multiplies second things. When we put second things first, we lose not only first things, we also lose second things. God is first things. Everything else in our life is second things. I'm simply saying to you, my friends, that when you love God, when you love God with all of your heart, you give him your first and you give him your best and he will enrich your life for eternal significance. Listen to me, friends. If we will all learn to simply trust God, if we will all learn to simply trust God and put him first and give him our best, this initiative will certainly be a total success. In fact, I believe if that happens, God will blow the lid off our financial goal. And there will be those at Northview who, uh, for them, first and best might look like a five, six, or even a seven-digit gift, a gift larger than maybe anything they have ever given before. Friends, I just wanna challenge every one of us in the room whether it's all the way from the individual that can afford to give a, a, a seven-figure gift or, or to some of us that it's pretty insignificant in our mind or pretty small. I promise you it's not insignificant in God's eyes because, again, it's not about the money. It's about you being faithful to trust him and give him your first and your best. 
I just wanna challenge you to be bold when it comes to trusting God in this area of your life. What would be something so significant that it would challenge your faith? Well, that's absolutely different for every single one of us in this room. I mean, it's all over the map. Listen, God will never ask you to give what you don't have, but at the same time, he can't use what you won't give. So what does that look like for you? What does it look like for me? I promise you, if you'll pray and ask God, I promise you, he'll tell you what he wants you to do. Some people say, well, you know, I, I just haven't had God tell me yet what he wants me to do. Have you seriously prayed about it? Because I promise if you do, he'll tell you. It may not be what you want to hear. It's, it's kind of one of those deals where, you know, okay, God whispers in your ear and you're like, okay, I don't like that one. God, I just don't know what to do. And so we pray again, and he gives us another figure, and it's like we just keep praying until maybe we can hear a voice in our head that says something much, much smaller. The card that we gave is a prayer card, basically. This commitment card is a prayer card or a prayer symbol for you to just say, okay, as a husband and wife, we're gonna grab a hold of this thing and we're gonna pray and say, God, we need to hear from heaven. Everything we have belongs to you, so we need to know what you want us to do. What's our part? So my friends, Let's just make God the priority of every area of our lives. I'm gonna turn this over to the campus pastor so that they can close in prayer.